Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Total Basis Podcast. We're recording on a slightly different day at a slightly different <laughs> time. It's uh, 10 a.m. over here in lovely Alabama for me, and I am joined by the co-host of the Step Back Podcast that you can find over at Ball is Life, Jacob sure. Anthony Moses, also a fellow Mets fan. Uh, I think the first time I've had a Mets fan on the show, so we're going to try and not be too big of homers. But, uh, Jacob, how are you doing, man? I'm good, bro. It's good to be on. Thank you for having me. Always like what you and Felipe do. It's pretty awesome. You know y'all shit. <laughs> love watching it. Love listening to it. No, it feels good to be on it. Let's get so this going. When, when it comes to fantasy baseball, uh, how long have you been playing fantasy baseball? And tell us kind of your history with it. Good Lord. <laughs> I'll say 2004. 2004, 2005, somewhere around there. And I'm usually, I'll say I'm in the middle of the pack and I'll make it to the playoffs, but I never can get over that hump. I think I've honestly won like two baseball leagues and I think it was luck. But, you know, I have fun with it. It's it's something that you really have to take time and pay attention to numbers. And as analytics has gotten stronger over the years, you really have to pay attention to it now. Like when I hear you talk about it, you know, I wasn't a big analyst, I won't lie. But now I start looking into the numbers you and Felipe would talk about, and I'm like, hard hit ball rates. I'm like, wow, that really does make a damn difference. <laughs> hey, it, it makes you know, like, hey, he's he deserves his high batting average. Uh-huh. Or even the guys that don't hit the ball very hard, you're like, oh, his his exit velocity and his hard hit percentage is really low. But he has a 300 batting average because he has that consistent line drive approach, mm-hmm. even though he's not hitting uh, Vladimir Guerrero, Pete Alonso exactly. type exit velocities. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I've told the story. I'm kind of in the same camp as you are. Um, I believe I've only won one baseball league, but I've come close several times since I've gotten really back into it because I used to do it in the early or the mid 2000s, but I really, really never took it seriously. Um, I've had Vince bounce me out and I had Aaron Zook, our last champion. She bounced me out last year in the semifinals. So back to back years, I've been in third place. Uh, she we're tr- sorry too, didn't she? Yeah. <laughs> we're trying to get over that hump just like you. <laughs> yeah. But, um, Without further ado, uh, today's episode, we are going to talk about how, you know, the proverbial sophomore slump, how is that going to be affected in a shortened season? Uh, the game is in great hands, uh, aside from, you know, young stars that have already been in the league two, one, two, three years, guys like Ronald Acuna, Juan Soto. Uh, those guys, I mean, they're going to be stalwarts for the game. You, which one do you like most, Jacob, between Ronald Acuna and Juan Soto? Anyway, I'll- I, I can't even be biased on this one because they both on TV. I mean, I, I mean, they whoop on us every time. <laughs> but I'm gonna go with Acuna because he's he so exciting to watch. Exactly, that, that's it. I like this time. He reminds me of Reyes with a lot more power because he does everything. You know, he can feel and he, he's he running. He, he's running, running, running. Yeah, he's a blur too. Like he's, you know, he's a not a small kid and he goes and it's just awesome just the whole excitement of his game i'm gonna go even though soto's good i mean shout out to my boy leon uh (laughs) that's soto i I love what he does but cooney is on it he's just a different animal man i just love watching him play and while last year was dominated by rookies like pete alonzo rookie sluggers that i mean just came up pete alonzo jordan alvarez uh, Fernando Tatis, yes. these guys just came in and were hitting bombs. Eloy Jimenez hit 31 home runs, another top prospect. But we also saw a lot of guys that came up in the middle of the year, didn't start mm-hmm. in the major leagues, and ended up having really good years. Brian Reynolds, I don't believe, st- was on the roster at the very beginning of the year, but he played 134 games, batted 314, and had a WRC plus of 131 as a rookie. And he was, you know, a big part of, I believe, the – McCutcheon deal. I, I mm-hmm. might be, it might be McCutcheon or uh, one of those, but um, he's done nothing but have a high batting average. Uh, he he might be more of a, a doubles hitter, which plays in Pittsburgh's park. They got oh, those, yeah. those deep alleys. Mm-hmm. But Brian Reynolds, Tommy Edmond, uh, Bo Bichette, another guy. top prospect, came up halfway through the year. Oscar Mercado. These guys yeah. that were really on the fringes of the prospect conversation or mm-hmm. rookie conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, really did come through in a way next year. So with that being said, it we have to look at how they're going to do next year because, you know, 
as you make adjustments, you come out into the league, pitchers are going to throw you a lot of fastballs and try and make mm-hmm. you hit it. The league adjusts to you, and we have seen some players really slump, but we've also seen some break out uh, out of recent memory. Aaron Judge, you know, he had that yes. cup of coffee, and then the next year he blows up the scene and goes crazy. But then you also see times where they step back. Um, mm-hmm. Which rookies do you feel are, are the sophomore players do you feel are going to be the safest bets this year? I would say pitching-wise, I'm going to go with Zach Gallen. Okay. I, I really like Zach Gallen. Oh, that, that was a great guy. trade. I mean, just it sucks for him because he got traded because he's so young. What is he, 24, 25 right yeah, now? Yeah, it was his – like he had just started making it, his debuts. I think he had like eight starts with Miami. He's an extreme strike thrower. Yeah. So, you know, and the one thing I love about him, I am a big fan of the changeup. If you have a changeup and it's good, you're going to be successful. Especially because you know, it, it helps neutralize both sides. You're not exactly. going to have an insane split. Exactly. But Gallon, what he did basically, he just, like I said, he threw strikes. And with the, I like the situation better when it came, when he's in, you know, doing that, excuse me, being in Arizona with Mad Bum, you know, Mike Leak and Robbie Ray, guys that had done it for so, like, for a good amount of time. To learn from that, you know, especially Mad Bum, you know. We're yeah, sure I mean, he's know. got a lot of veterans to learn from for sure. Exactly. And I mean, and like you said, that changeup was a lethal weapon for him. Um, mm-hmm. He could even go by if he went lo- a, a full Luis Castillo and started throwing it even more than his fastball. <laughs> it really would be interesting because he uh-huh. threw it 16 percent of the time last year. It was his third most used pitch, and mm-hmm. he, the batters whiffed on it 40 percent of the time. That, and, and that's, that's wild. And that's he had a, a total expected batting average against of 215. Uh, mm-hmm. His ERA might have been a little lower than his expected ERA, but even the expected ERA was well above average for last mm-hmm. year. And like you said, only 24. Uh, we're just now seeing him. It'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see how batters adjust. But with his full pitch mix, he has the fastball curveball change and a cutter mm-hmm. and a sinker. Uh, I, I do really like what that could they could do with him, especially because Madbum's always been crazy about that cutter. So maybe mm-hmm. they work on his cutter a little bit more too. Oh yeah. So which other guys you got? Who other guy? All right, I'm gonna bring out. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna give Pittsburgh some love. JT Brubaker. I'm gonna I'm gonna give him some love. I think since you know Chris Archer went down with that with the thoracic. Yeah, thoracic outlet. Yeah, there you go. He went out with that one. Um, he can step in. I think he'll have a breakout. You know, his fastball is electric, but once again, he needs that secondary pitch. And for some reason with Pittsburgh pitchers, you know, they're supposed to have – I call them the second coming of the Mets because their pitching that was supposed to come up was – Yeah, really Glasnow, like, Keller, yep. um, mm-hmm. and What's then uh, who, who's the um, – The uh, big dude. Jamison Tyone. Yeah. Him too. Yeah. Gla- Glasnow was the six-foot – he's in Tampa now. It was another, it was another dude, not Kingman. He just—he was another one that reminded me of Noah because he was big. Yeah. And, oh my God, I forgot his damn name. But yeah, like I said, he throws. Brubaker throws like ninety-nine, and you know, with Archer going down, I think he'll get his chance to kind of shine. Yeah, uh, but, he ended the season. He hasn't debuted yet, so it would be his rookie season. But mm-hmm. he did pitch twenty-one innings over four mm-hmm. starts in AAA last year, okay. and had a one-point-seven-one walk per nine, which is awesome. 8.57K mm-hmm. per nine, solid, and uh, a 2.5 ERA. I mean, you take that. And it's one of those things, Pittsburgh isn't a bit of a transition period after getting rid of Ray Searage. They're going to go more to, you know, less pitching to contact. And so mm-hmm. you're going to see some of these guys in their system that probably have nastier stuff, but you haven't seen it in their strikeout numbers, mm-hmm. start to really get those strikeouts. And Brubaker is definitely one of those guys. All right, let's see who else I got. Who I think is going to slump? Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what slumping pitchers do you got? I got John Means. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, poor, poor, poor John Means. I mean, he, he didn't have a terrible year. He actually had no. the highest uh, or the second highest war of all rookie pitchers. Yeah. <laughs> but he had an almost two-run difference between his ERA and his XFIP. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how he was able to do it. He's a soft-tossing, left-handed fly ball pitcher, and he had a well-below league average – or not well-below, but below-league average home run to fly ball rate in the AL East in Camden. Exactly. I don't understand how he did it. 
He had the damn lowest ERA since what's that guy's name? We Ying Chen. We and Chu. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Well, it was three sixty, but still, like that's that's that, that's really good for Baltimore, the AL East. He's getting rocked this year. I don't care. I don't care what nobody says. Yeah, it, it's going to be really tough on him. Um, I, I don't know how he avoided even more damage because there's there's a lot of lefty killers in that division. Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, J.D. Martinez. These guys just crushed left-handed pitching. And he was able to – he was their lone all-star last year. But I think it's going to be one of those uh, kind of fluky things, much like Kyle mm-hmm. Freeland two years yes. ago. Yes. He had the sub 2-5 ERA. And I looked at it, and I was like, that can't be real. That and then, of course, he goes, and he, he ends up being demoted last year halfway through the season. But looking at means, there is a slight sliver of hope in that he did avoid barrels relatively well. Uh, his hard hit against, he was in the 90th percentile and his hard hit percentage was not all that high. It was only 30%. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's a little bit of hope for him, but I, it's hard to see because he just doesn't – he doesn't blow you away. I mean, his fastball average, not even 92 miles an hour. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, one guy who I'm definitely thinking is going to take a step back. Yeah, he literally – <laughs> speaking of step back be sure to check out uh jacob and leon's uh podcast the step back over at ball is life they put on a really good show uh, it's really fun to listen to i'm always finding myself cracking up when i tune in so be sure to check them out as well as our other assorted life group podcasts we have whether it's for wrestling food i mean we got it you name it we got yes, it so the life difference. Yeah. Do you have any other pictures you'd like to talk about today? Uh, let me see. I got a few other hitters. Pictures I got to think about for a little bit. Okay. I'll talk about one pitcher that I really do like. Okay. Um, he exhausted his rookie eligibility, so this would technically be a sophomore season for him. And he actually had the third highest uh, war of all rookie pitchers last year, higher than guys like Chris Paddock. And Sandy Alcantara, who still somehow had rookie eligibility, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but Spencer Turnbull, he's like going to be middle-of-the-rotation guy. He's from the University of Alabama, where I live now. Uh, he has a re- I remember when the Mets played Detroit in spring training last year, he was mm-hmm. pitching in one game, and he just kept throwing curveball after curveball. <laughs> and they did some sort of story that he had been working on his curveball, and that's why he was throwing mm-hmm. it so much. And it looked really good. And he had mixed results last year. Um, if you are a traditionalist and you only look at ERA and wins and losses, you would say, yuck, he's the nastiest, ugliest, I don't want to touch him with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> um, granted, that's what happens when you play for the Detroit Tigers in 2019. He had three wins and 17 losses. Uh, he had a, a 4-6 ERA, but he had a FIP of under four. So there's slightly, you know, maybe a little bit of bad luck. He had a low home run per nine innings, which also comes with pitching in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um, an 8.86K per nine. The walks were a little bit high, but for a rookie pitcher, within reason. That I really do like his curveball. I feel like that could be a dominant pitch. And he's going to be one of those guys. He'll be the ace of the Tigers staff, but he's going to be a solid three or four starter. And in his rookie year, he threw 150 innings. I mean, that, that okay. takes – I mean, that's the – Back in the day, 150 innings is like, oh, that's what the swing man throws. But in today's, like, 150 is the new one, 190. So, uh-huh. a definite props for him for staying healthy, taking the ball every five days, made 30 starts. I, I do like him. And then I figured we'd talk about this guy because both as Mets fans, I have a very complicated relationship with how I view him, especially after his comments. And that is – San Diego Padres top pitcher, Chris Paddock. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and for those that do not know, back in the month of April, it was Pete Alonzo that won Rookie of the Year, or for March and April, or Rookie of the Month. And Chris Paddock had said he thought he deserved it more and that he wasn't trying to win Rookie of the Month. He was trying to win Rookie of the Year, which mm-hmm. led to an extremely hyped-up matchup at the beginning of May in which Paddock and Alonzo finally faced each other after all of these high-flying comments across the, the top rope, basically. And Chris mm-hmm. Paddock came out, and I think it was the three fastest fastballs he threw all year mm-hmm. were to Pete Alonzo, and they, they topped out at about 99. And he, he struck him out, 
and then hyped. yeah, later, yeah, he was very hyped coming <laughs> off the mound. He had the the strikeout strut and the scream going on. And uh, later in the game, uh, Pete Alonso ends up hitting the the go ahead tying home run in the eighth <laughs> inning, and. The SNY camera team, you know, great as right always. Look over at Chris Paddock, and he's just slumped over there on the <laughs> on, on the dugout steps. He was very upset, and of course, we know how that story ended up turning out. Pete Alonso goes on to hit 53 home runs. Uh, Chris Paddock spent some time in the minors while they tried to conserve his innings, mm-hmm. and Pete Alonso wins the Rookie of the Year in a landslide. But Chris Paddock is a guy. Aside from all of that on the field, off the field drama, I love. Yeah, he's he's good. He's really good. I'm worried about the third pitch, but I've never seen a, a prospect come up with two pitches that can just basically he throws two pitches all game. Fastball changeup. He has elite level command. Uh, he him and Shane Bieber, I always liked in the minors because they never walked guys. And mm-hmm. guys, pitchers in the minors that aren't walking batters and are still getting by with low ERAs, mm-hmm. they know what they're doing. And they're not going to put themselves into more trouble by putting runners on base and then giving up a home run. He had a, a 90th percentile expected ERA, well above average exit velocity and hard hit rates and expected WOBA. But his next step in his evolution is really going to be that curveball or that cha- or that slider. I think they said in spring training this year he was working on a slider um, but as if he finds that bona fide third pitch, oh, he, he could be a legitimate Cy Young contender. I oh, believe. And then he I'm trying to think, it was something else with him. He did. It was that. Did he have like a lot of short innings? Though? Like a show. Yeah, a lot of he, he only made twenty six starts and pit, had one hundred and forty innings, and that was because mm-hmm. he was coming off Tommy John, I believe, the okay. season before, and they had only had him throw like I think thirty. 40 innings post Tommy John in 2018 in the minors. And so San Diego was doing a lot of kind of innings manipulation with him. Uh, He went back down to the minors in June Mm -hmm. and he had like a couple of starts where he just went and pitched like one or two innings and then he came back. Okay. But yeah, um, one other guy or really two, I'll just kind of combine them together Mm -hmm. are um, that people aren't really thinking of in terms of they exhausted their rookie eligibility and I really do like the chances in 2020. I don't think they will be slumpers. I think they will be definite risers, both in the league and on their own uh, pitching staffs and rotations. I think they're going to move up a couple of slots. And that's Griffin Canning of the Angels, yes. 2017 second-round pick. Yes. And he showed legitimate weapons across the board. Yes, uh, he did. His four-seamer with 23% slider, 45, which was his his bread and butter he threw it almost 30% of the time, and he could even go by possibly, you know, go full Patrick Corbin and throw the slider more than his fastball, uh, and I'd be cool with it. His curveball was also a weapon, uh, 34% whiff rate, expected batting average of just 184, and he's one guy, he's he's dealt with some health issues as, I mean, I'm saying, I feel like I'm saying that with every Los Angeles Angels player. Poor guy. He's great, but he's dealing with some health issues, um, mm-hmm. but if he can stay healthy, I, I believe he's really someone to look at. And then back over in the National League, we have Adrian Hauser, who was kind of the swingman for Milwaukee. Yes. And he was one of the rarities in 2019 in that he was a primary sinker ball pitcher, and he still maintained an extremely low expected batting average against him. And it was just because it was a that good of a sinker. And he had the sinker four seam that he threw combined over 67% of the time. The The curve in the secondaries really could use a little bit of help in some refinement, much in the like of his teammate Brandon Woodruff. They have two great primary pitches, but the secondaries kind of need to come around. Now, when it comes to hitters, who you got for hitters? Ah, this this is my favorite, and this is what are going to be you know one of my fantasy picks in one of my leagues. I have mine because I like him. He's my kind of player, Tommy Edmond. Yes, switch hitter. He's going to be like a twenty. I think he's going to be like a twenty-five, twenty-five guy. I, I really think so. He has the speed, and like I said, he has the pop. You know, he hits for average, which I like. Towards being a switch hitter, I love yep. seeing that. 
just St. Louis knows how to pick him. Yeah, I I mean, he's a guy who consistently played, you know, shortstop second base Mm -hmm. and batted 280, 290, 300 Mm -hmm. in the minors. And he never hit for much power, uh, but the speed is definitely there, 97th percentile in speed. Mm -hmm. And this is a guy I picked up in my 30-team dynasty Mm -hmm. league like halfway through the year and right after they promoted him. And they weren't using him as a starter yet. And so I would just kind of plug him in whenever he played because I needed help at shortstop and he was shortstop eligible. And he really – he helped carry me down the stretch. He was giving me a lot of points, high batting average, low strikeouts. Um, the big knocks against him, like I said, his exit velocity and hard hit numbers aren't very high. So the power – granted, he seemed to do most of it against fastballs. His launch angle against fastballs was considerably much higher than his – against breaking balls or off-speed pitches, which when I looked at that at Baseball Savant, his batting average against all three different groups, mm-hmm. against fastballs, 308, breaking, 286, and then off-speed, 308 again. So this is a guy who is going to hit whatever you throw at him, but if he can really zero in on fastballs, in which his launch angle was 18%, which is awesome, but mm-hmm. against everything else was 11% and 1%, uh, respectively. Um, the power, I, I think he could be more of a 15 home run guy, but the steals, definitely there. The only other issue is he doesn't walk a lot. He's a bit of a free swinger. But at the same time, you know, we've seen guys like that be productive as long as they're putting bats a ball. You know, think oh. Starling Castro and guys like that. We forgot one name. That's our second base. Well, it'll be third base probably this year. But oh, yeah, I'm Jeff McNeil. That. Jeff McNeil's kind of the same way, yeah. And But the guy that you said uh, really reminded me of Tommy Edmond and during a Baseball Savant's player similarity comparison mm-hmm. is the number one match is Whit Merrifield. And yeah, Whit like Merrifield's him. one of those guys who's been an extremely valuable fantasy player because of mm-hmm. the high batting average and especially in Roto Leagues because of his steals. He yeah. stopped running a little bit the last year or so, but – if we're looking at kind of like the second incarnation of Tommy Ed or of Whit Merrifield, you know, second base plays all around the infield, a little bit of outfield, uh, you're going to be getting Tommy Edmond at a severe discount compared to what you would have to pay for like Whit Merrifield in drafts. And I think they're very similar players at this point with Whit Merrifield kind of aging out at 31, starting to lose a bit of his speed. But Tommy Edmond, you know, ripe 25, the Stanford swing, you know, high contact, mm-hmm. high batting average. Uh, I really do like him. I think he's a guy everyone should be targeting. He's basically, I don't want to say free in most drafts, but well after uh, ADP 150. Uh, I was going to ask you a question. What do you yeah. think about Keston Hiora? Like, Kester- I, I, I don't, <laughs> it's just something about, like, I like him, but he's one of the players I think that's going to regress. He very, he very well could. But he, you see, his thing was he was always a, a large time, big time contact hitter. Mm hmm. And um, I'm not seeing any comments. I'm just seeing where you're talking to Corey. So if you see comments, feel free to reply to oh, yeah. Jacob. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. I'm, they're not loading up on my phone. But Keston no, here, good. back to it. Um, you look at his profile, especially in his 85 games in the majors. Uh, mm-hmm. He had his first uh, – I think he came up for like two, three weeks, and he was kind of so-so. He kind of struggled. But then mm-hmm. he came back up, and he started ripping the cover off the ball. And – People wonder why I don't worry about Hira as much as I do someone like Fernando Tatis. Both guys who walked 7 8% of the time and struck out basically 30% of the time. And it, that's because Keston Hira uh, has always been a huge line drive hitter mm-hmm. in the minors. And then I believe in late 2018, early 2019, underwent a, big, a bit of a swing change. And mm-hmm. he started trying to really you know, drive the ball and lift it more. And that's where we kind of saw his home runs kind of explode in the minors. In 2019, he had uh, 19 in just the minors in 57 games. So that was kind of his big-time swing breakout. Mm-hmm. And he has a very 90th percentile exit velocity, 97th percentile hard hit percentage, 92% barrel percentage. But then he has – one of the worst fourth percentile and three percentile uh, strikeout percentage and whiff percentage. So there came with it a lot of swings and misses, which isn't something he had really dealt with before, but it was not something I really worried about because on the pitches he was making contact with, Mm -hmm. I mean, he had a 50% hard hit rate. Half the balls he hit were hard. That's crazy. crazy. And 
a 493 uh, Woba based on contact. So that kind of analyzes, you know, based on how hard he hits the ball and how high he hits the ball, what his Woba would be, uh, was one of the best in the league. He's definitely an interesting player. Uh, He had nine steals, and a lot of people are talking about him as like this possible, you know, 25-25 or 20-20 guy, 30-20 guy. And Mm -hmm. I don't really buy the steals. He's a middling runner, 51st percentile in sprint speed. But Mm -hmm. the bat-to-ball skills, with even with how much he whiffs, I think are there to maintain both his high batting average and his high BABIP. That's a, a big worry a lot of people have had with him. Mm-hmm. is last year he had a bad up over 400, much like Fernando Tatis. But when you look at their batted ball data, Keston here earned his 400 bad up, while Fernando Tatis Jr. did not. Mm-hmm. People are saying, oh, he's supposed to – he would have won rookie of the year. Peter Lutton. Nah, he <laughs> no. And I, I know I, I've spoken a million times based on Fernando Tatis. He was one of the biggest overperformers. And at mm-hmm. his current ADP in, in drafts, I, I I can't touch him. I mean, yeah, especially hard. with a – yes, in a dynasty, I'd be probably more likely to pick him because he's so young. And I do I do think he has the talent. I just think if it's a, a one-off draft year, uh, I, I can't pick him. I, mm-hmm. I can't. Too much swing and miss, too much luck factored into his success last year. <laughs> and I know there's one guy on here that you haven't brought up yet, and I thought you would. And you're a big fan of him, Kevin Newman. Tell me your thoughts on Kevin Newman for Pittsburgh. He okay, list. he was legitimately on my list. I, I don't know. He's he's gonna be he's a scrappy hitter. That's another one. He's one of those scrappy guys that the glue guys, as I call him, that you need on the team. You know, he's gonna do whatever you ask to get when he gets on the field. You know, he'll put up good numbers, and I just like him. Like, I yeah. always talk about him. I just talk about him. I like. I don't. <laughs> I mean, he. It's hard not to like a 300 hitter. I mean, 2015 first round pick, you know, they, they've had a lot of, he had one of the best uh, strikeout rates in for all of hitters at under 12%. He mm-hmm. had one of the best whiff percentages at, it was the 97th percentile and he never whiffed more than 8% on fastball. So when he got a fastball, he hit it. And much like Tommy Edmond, everything he threw or everything they threw at him, he was able mm-hmm. to hit. So the only issue with him is going to be power. He didn't barrel up a lot of balls. He had a very low exit velocity and hard hit rate, but the expected batting average was high because, you know, he has that consistent line drive approach. Mm -hmm. Um, The only worry I really do have in terms of playing time is Pittsburgh does have several shortstop prospects. Cole Tucker, Cole Tucker and those luscious locks is right behind him. Uh, and then they have O'Neill Cruz kind of is a, a couple of years away. You know, the six foot seven shortstop. I, I can't wait to see how that turns out. But uh, yeah, he's six seven. He's got a, a crazy swing, too. But he's got legit power. Um, but Kevin Newman, yeah, Kevin Newman and Tommy Edmund, guys that basically are free in drafts and especially late in drafts. Finding a 300 hitter late in drafts is tough. Exactly. Especially if you're in a roto league and you're trying to maintain that that batting average, especially if you draft somebody like a, a Miguel Sano or a Joey Gallo, mm-hmm. who helps you tremendously in other spots, but really hurts you in batting average. So those guys I love having as utility headers. Kevin Newman probably would sit on my bench until I, I get a little bit more mm-hmm. trust in the pit, what's Pittsburgh's going to do with him. He's he's leading off actually. Oh, oh, they have him listed yeah, the lead off. Okay, yeah, and that that lineup isn't as terrible as I think most people are oh, expecting good. it to be. Josh Bell is you know had had that great year, a rough second half, but mm-hmm. I believe he kind of figured things out last year. Um, it'll be interesting to see what they do with him. Any yeah. other uh, former rookies going into their second year? You got? Uh let's let's compare two because I want to hear your. Your breakout on these guys, Vlad Jr. and Alex Verdugo, because they were actually, you know, hand in hand, because yep. you know with their contact rates, I believe, and yeah, the they, they were very they, high average hitters in the minors, mm-hmm. and for sure, and for good reason, because they made a lot of contact. Uh, mm-hmm. Vlad, I mean, we all watched the home run derby. We know what he can do. Oh yeah, and I think what happened last year was he came up and tried to do. 
too much? A little bit too much. And it was one of those things, it was good to see him maintain the contact ability because mm-hmm. he's so much like his dad and that he, yes. he swings. He's out there swinging. And <laughs> that's both a good thing and a bad thing because sometimes you don't need to be swinging at everything. Mm-hmm. And he showed very good plate discipline in the minors, and I was mm-hmm. just kind of waiting for it. So he maintained the high contact rate, but I think he was just trying to swing his way into a hot streak that yes. never came. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at his batted ball numbers, it wasn't really bad luck. He didn't hit the ball very hard, which is funny considering – what we saw in the home run derby. But mm. when you look at just his fly balls, he was, I think, much closer to the top of the like twenty or 75th, 80th percentile in fly ball exit velocity. So he's just got to learn to like lay off the stuff that you know you're just going to pound into the ground. Exactly. Which with his size, you know, you don't want to be a ground ball hitter because then you're just going to be Wilson Ramos essentially. <laughs> But <laughs> that's true. I mean, I a, a big guy hitting ground ball 60% of the time is not good. I just wanted to double check what his ground ball percentage was last plus, year. Yeah, plus his dad actually could run. Like, yeah, his dad, his dad was a hell of an athlete for sure. Uh, yeah, that, that's going to be his biggest thing he has to change was he had a 49. And it was something he did had in the minors, but he was able to get away with it. Uh, he had a 49.6 ground ball percentage. And it, uh, if you can't run, you don't need to be hitting the ball on the ground that exactly. much. And he showed much higher line drive rates in the minors, upwards of 25 30% sometimes. Mm-hmm. And last year was only 17.3. So I think it's something where if he just tries to hit line drives, mm-hmm. he's going to hit home runs. He doesn't need to hit oh, a fly absolutely. ball to hit a home run. Absolutely. And, yeah. and with that being said, I feel the same way about Pete Alonzo. Mm-hmm. And with you being a Mets fan, this was the discussion I really wanted to have because then we could be homers and talk about how much we love Pete Alonzo <laughs> and how he's going to be the next captain. But Pete Alonzo, a lot of people think, especially uh, among the fantasy community, and I understand where they're coming from mm-hmm. because anytime you hit 53 home runs, you're going to be a highly valued commodity mm-hmm. in both fantasy and real life. Absolutely. And so the ADP has like never been higher on him. You have to pick him probably within the first three rounds. He might fall to the fourth round if you're drafting with smart people who are afraid of him. Because (laughs) what they see, and I understand, is a guy that's only going to give you – he's not going to be a batting average help. He's just going to give you home runs and RBIs and runs. But if if he hits 40 home runs instead of 53, he probably – doesn't cross 100 RBIs or he's right on it. He's very close. And they have some legitimate batting average concerns. Uh, He Mm. batted 260 last year, but his expected batting average was slightly lower than it. Yeah, it was like 247, 250. But this is my thing, is Mm. me and you watched him, you know, like every game. Mm -hmm. And we saw what a lot of his home runs were. Yes, every now and then he did have, like, the majestic uh, fly ball, like the one he hit in Minnesota that went up into the oh, third deck. Right. Yeah, he had, he had a two fifty seven expected batting average to go with his two fifty nine average. So he earned his average. But there are oh, some sure. people who think that with the excessive launch angle that he might be more of, you know, like a Reese Hoskins that actually hits the ball hard. Um, mm-hmm. Not that I'm going to throw any shade at the Phillies, any chance I get. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> Bro. But, I, I always try and convince people. They say, oh, you know, he is a batting average liability. He is a batting average concern. And mm-hmm. I I don't see it. I mean, in college, he was a 300-plus hitter. In mm-hmm. the minors, he was a 290 hitter. And then in mm-hmm. his first season, he was a 260 hitter. And a lot of people who didn't watch Pete Alonso day in, day out, they say, oh, hit 53 home runs. He was selling out for power. But we saw no. him, he hit line drives. Exactly. And, I mean, line drives that have no business going out of ballparks and then mm-hmm. would just sail over the right center field wall. Oh, yeah. And I mean, even in Miami, I remember he had a couple of his first home run there, and I'm like, <laughs> what the hell? Is I was like, that, that's not a ball that's a home run. That's a ball that no. bounces off the wall. But he's so strong. Mm-hmm. And his swing is really – it's not all of this extra noise. No, it's, it's just sh- – It's short. It gets to the ball mm-hmm. and it hits line drives. And that might be a 
bit of a testament to hitting coach Chili Davis. You know, they went for more of a, a line drive approach last Absolutely. year, which uh, was not met enthusiastically when Chili was in Chicago, but mm-hmm. was definitely embraced by the Mets and their veteran leaders like Robinson Cano, who has made a career of hitting line drive home runs, oh, yeah. especially when he was in Yankee Stadium. Exactly. So I think Pete Alonso could actually be – I don't want to say a discount because I still tend to avoid him in drafts because just how high he's going. <laughs> I mean, last year in the Baseball Life League, I think I got him after pick 200, and it mm. ended up being the biggest steal in the world. It and was, obviously. I mean, he was my second first, second or third first baseman picked. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, just for, just for the hell of it, I'm not even sure if he's going to make the team. I'll, I'll draft him. <laughs> and – 53 home runs, 120 RBIs helps carry me to the, the semifinals once again. That's it. But, but also, uh, what do you, do you yeah. think his batting average could come up? Do you see? I think it will, to be honest, because uh, he has a really good knowledge of the strike zone. Yep. And his walk rates were pretty good. For him being such a slugger like he is, they were really good last year. What was his OVP? What, uh, yeah, he had a 358, 360. There you, there you go right there. I'm like, and you really, you look at that, and you're like, okay. But like I said, his biggest thing is knowledge of the strike zone because a lot of sluggers just, like you said, Bragg Jr. Look at him. He's just swinging at everything. But Peter Alonso, I mean, he worked a good amount of counts. Yeah, and he had a couple of times or right after the All-Star break where he seemed like he was chasing a little bit and, and that slider away every now and then. But it's like something, you know, in following the, the team and him every day mm-hmm. is a lot of people don't know is Pete Alonso kept a little notebook. And yep. after every game, he'd sit in his locker and he would write down which pitchers he faced, mm-hmm. how those pitchers attacked him, how they struck him out if they did. And to me, that is just – that's such a tool. That was Carlos Delgado who used to yep, do the I same was, thing his entire career. Oh, and yeah. that's one of those things that makes me think that Pete Alonso can not only improve or, you know, stay afloat, but he can mm-hmm. improve moving forward. Yep. And mm-hmm. I legitimately think he could be a 280 hitter. And if oh, he's easy. a 280 hitter, he's probably pushing a 400 on base because hitter pitchers are going to be afraid of him. He's going to mm-hmm. walk more, and yep. he's still going to maintain a slugging like a 550 just because of how mm-hmm. strong he is. I, yeah. I really do like him. If I was doing a dynasty startup league, I'd mm-hmm. probably pay the price and get him in one of those first three, four rounds. But mm-hmm. in, in, in a one-year off, uh, the value is it, – it doesn't seem to be there. There's a lot of guys I could get right around there that oh, sure. give me more than just the the surefire power. That's definitely true. And also, I wanted to bring up – don't forget, he hit 30 doubles last year too. So yeah, he had, he had 30 doubles. I mean, he had a lot of extra base hits. I think – didn't he have like one or two triples that were really funny, him lugging yeah. around the bases? <laughs> I'm telling you, he got the David Wright thing. Like the opposite field power – well, he obviously has way more power, but the yeah. opposite field approach – like a few of them, he just. Whoop, I, right I mean, it was like they'd be short in swings, and mm-hmm. they'd hit the right center go. field wall. And I'm like, like, like hearing the broadcast team, Keith Hernandez and Gary Cohen were like so flabbergasted. They're like, that wasn't <laughs> even a full swing, and it goes over the right field wall. Like, mm-hmm. and like you said, he goes so naturally to the opposite field, much like David Wright did. But when he does turn on pitches, I mean, we've seen some majestic Whoa. fly balls. <laughs> Oh, I mean, I, I looked it up. I, I wish I'd done it right before the, sh- the show so I could tell you guys. Maybe I'll, I'll put it in the, the comments section. Or uh, His uh, line or his launch angle on balls to the opposite field were like 12%. On balls he pulled, it was, aside from his ground balls, because he did pull a lot of ground balls last year, mm-hmm. was like 20-something percent. So it, it was definitely something wild. Uh to watch with him because even Mets fans, like we know he had the big breakout year in 2019 or 2018 mm-hmm. and we wanted to see him in September and we didn't, mm-hmm. but I, I don't even think we were prepared for 50 no. home runs and a no hundred plus runs RBIs. No way. And you brought up a uh, Verdugo when we brought up Guerrero and we didn't yeah. really touch on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on Verdugo? I like him. I like that kid. I mean, if I was playing in Boston, with that short he reminds me a hand. lot of a young Nick Markakis. Yes, I like that. The That's strong arm, high batting average. I think he's more of a Most doubles like hitter. But if, but if he goes to Boston, we could see more home runs than we would have seen if he had stayed in the National mm-hmm. League West. 
uh, because the National League West, aside from hitting in Colorado, is is pretty daunting. There, I'd say it's more pitcher friendly than hitter friendly for sure. But going to Boston, um, I've heard issues with him, like in the locker room, he's a bit immature or anything like that. Really? Yeah, but I think it's more of he's so young and he's so yeah. not not full of himself, but he's he's confident. And anytime a player is confident, they can come off as cocky, arrogant, whatever. But uh, he said his favorite player growing up was actually David Ortiz. And I was watching uh, a, a couple okay. of Boston's uh, spring training games earlier this – back when we had spring training, RIP Baseball 2020. <laughs> and um, he – they had an interview and they had a camera on him when he was talking about, like, David Ortiz was his idol. And David Ortiz ends up walking in the locker room. And then he, like, eyes go crazy. He's like, what? And I think it's something where the Dodgers clubhouse and organization had probably been a little bit tiresome of his antics and his personality. Mm -hmm. But if Boston accepts him, I mean, he's not going to be Mookie Betts. And Boston fans are probably going to be tough on him because they're going to expect that. But he's going to be a player that you're going to love to have on your team. He's fun-loving. Uh, he might say some things that piss you off, but he's also going to say some things that you're like, yeah, that's my player. <laughs> I mean, it's like Matt Barnes in the NBA. Like, whenever that dude was oh. on the opposing team, you hated him. But if he was but on your team, that's my dude. That's my – Talking a whole bunch of shit, punching Yeah. Him. <laughs> and then he yeah. comes to your team, and it's like, oh, yeah, I love him. He's a, he's just a, a hard competitor, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, yeah, but the thing about it, with him being so young and he didn't play that much, he only had like a strikeout rate of, what, 13%? Yeah, I mean, so, he, great I mean, contact, great right, contact you, rate. In Boston, come on, you spray the ball all around the field, you left the green monster, you spray it to left, he, pop it up the wall. He could lead the league in doubles. <laughs> if he stays healthy, which, much like Tatis, he has the back issue going on right now. But if he stays healthy, he could be one of the – like a, a I, w- I don't want to say a batting title contender, but he's going to have a high batting average which a, with a much higher slugging percentage than you would think if you look at his home run totals because I do think he's going to hit a lot of doubles and triples in that ballpark. And not a crazy thing about that, you know, like with last year, three of those players that posted a higher slugging percentage at him, you know, shout out to Dolan City, they were Astros, so, you know, yeah. take that how you want it. But um, <laughs> I just had to point that one out there. But, yeah, I like that kid. You know, plus he's good – Righties and lefties, he, you know, he has a nice stroke to make it happen. But I, I like him. I think he'll be really, really good. Um, then, one person, I got to get this one out, Eloy Jimenez. Let's hear it, John. He exploded in the, like, last <laughs> month and a half of the season. Everyone was just kind of, like, so-so on him. And then yeah. September came, and I think of his 31 home runs, I want to say he hit, like, nine of them in the last month, something like that. And – he showed – he reminds me a lot of a player who also came from the Cubs organization and took a little bit longer to break out than what we all expected, but did finally break out in 2019, and that's Jorge Soler. Ah. Big-time power. Okay. Hits the ball extremely hard. Probably shouldn't be playing the outfield, much like Jorge Soler shouldn't have been playing the outfield with the Cubs. Uh, I think Eloy Jimenez's home is at D8. But the issue there right now with the White Sox is they have so many DH options. Oh, gosh. They have Jose Abreu. They have Edwin Encarnacion. They've talked about Yasmani Grandal DHing when he doesn't catch. Mm-hmm. it, And so I feel like he's going to be pigeonholed into left field. And I just hope that, you know, he doesn't take his issues from the field with them into the batter's box. Because hitters will say that it doesn't bother them. They'll separate it. But, I mean, if you're struggling in the field, you're going to – not be at your best in the batter's box because you're going to be frustrated. You're not going to be focused. And But aside from that, I, I really do like – he batted 267. Um, he had a really low on-base percentage because he didn't really walk. Um, but the, and the strikeout percentage was still that of, you know, like a power hitter, like 25 26%, which isn't terrible. Uh, but when you're only walking 6% of the time, it does make it a little troublesome. He's definitely somebody I would pencil in at like a four slot rather than a number two or a number three header. But he definitely could be – he's definitely going to improve. I, I do think that. But it, it'll be interesting for him. Uh, I like his chances that it's going to be a much more improved lineup next year. So oh, yeah. we'll see the opportunities that he gets. Definitely. And a big guy that's been talked about in the fantasy community – uh, I'm not sure if you followed him too much last year, 
but Oscar Mercado for the Indians. Yeah. And of course, you know, in, in a fantasy or in fantasy roto leagues where, you know, categories or whatever, those home, you're always chasing steals. And it's funny because I have them and they're within like three spots on my fan graphs list right now, but him and Kevin Newman were not that far off. And upon further consideration, I think I'd prefer Kevin Newman. And Kevin Newman is free in drafts. Oscar Mercado, you're having to pay up. Um, exactly. Oscar Mercado is much faster and does have more stolen bases, you know, in the minors. But his his power, I, I didn't really think was real. And he only batted 269 and had a 318 on base. Mm-hmm. Well, Kevin Newman batted 308 and it had a 350 on base. And that's a that's a hot take I'll take right there is I'd rather have Kevin Newman than Oscar Mercado. I'm telling you, I'm going to shout Kevin Newman to talk in anymore. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Are there any uh, rookie hitters you think that will uh, take big Ooh. steps back next year? Because uh, I'm looking at guys like, you know, Aristides Aquino, who had, you yeah, know. Hey, no way he's doing that again. I mean, it. I think he just ambushed these pitchers. Nineteen home runs in fifty-six games is phenomenal. But in September, I feel like is he he set like the rookie record and the major league record for most home runs in a month or something at August. And um, I think in September they really figured him out and they started pitching him like, okay, we're not gonna just throw it to you over the middle anymore. Um, yeah. I mean, right now, Aquino, with all of the Reds' acquisitions in the offseason, he's not even guaranteed a playoff spot – or uh, not a playoff – a roster spot. So, he could start off in the minors. Another guy I'm avoiding is Brandon Lau uh, of the Rays, who was the odds-on favorite for American League Rookie of the Year until he was injured and until a guy who we haven't mentioned yet because I was waiting, um, a, a guy by the name of Jordan Alvarez – was promoted halfway through the year, and then he himself ran away with American League Rookie of the Year. But Brandon Lau, I do like him. Uh, he's one of those guys the Rays signed him to a long-term extension, even though he had only played a few games with them. Big-time left-handed power. He had a strikeout rate of thir- almost 35%. And he doesn't have, like, the exit velocity numbers of Joey Gallo. But it's one of those – he batted 270 – he doesn't sell out for power. He still hits line drives. But I, I think he's more of a, pl- a very much a platoon concern. And I'm sure Felipe would love to hear me saying this, that, <laughs> oh, here I am finally criticizing a left-handed hitter. But Brandon Lau is definitely that. And we know how much Tampa loves to platoon guys. Oh, so yeah. I think Brandon Lau could fall into a the, the good side of a platoon but I would expect the batting average to come down slightly as he his BABIP was 377 and his batting average was 270. And usually you like those numbers to be a little bit closer instead of a over a 100-point gap. <laughs> and then one more that I, I think is going to have some struggles, or two more, uh, both in the National League East, both guys we will be seeing a lot of. And one is Austin Riley, yep. who actually – Played 80 games. I did not think he had played that many. Of course, when he came up in May, he had the the great home runs, and Braves fans were telling me, "Oh, look at me! We have a, a you, our guy's better than Pete Alonso." And I, I remember just being in the Facebook groups, and I would tell them, "I'd say, hey, your guy is striking out 35 percent of the time and walking five percent of the time. That's a 30 percent gap." And I don't think I've ever seen that, like, in the history of me analyzing statistics. A 30% gap between walk rate and strikeout rate. And lo and behold, it caught up with him, and he ended up going back to the minors. What are your thoughts on Austin Riley? Uh, he's going to be a – I won't say Dan Ugler kind of guy, but <laughs> he's going to be an all-or-nothing kind of guy. I, I just think – I just feel it because how his approach, like you said, his approach, doesn't really walk a lot power game it's just he's gonna be all or nothing but he will get his numbers probably against us yeah you know? <laughs> probably <laughs> i'm gonna be eating crow in a year probably yeah, but he's, like, he's good but i don't think he's gonna be as 
like a freaking all-star kind of playing superstar. No, he's yeah. going to be. It'll be interesting to see how they get him at bats this year. Uh, it seems they're going to be putting him back at third base with Josh Donaldson leaving for the Minnesota oh, Twins. Uh, him and Johan Camargo, I think we're battling it out for third base in spring yeah. training. And it's just my issue when I look at Austin Riley was he hit fastballs and, you know, primary pitches pretty well. I mean, he was able to handle them. But then anytime he got a breaking ball or off speed, I, I got to see what his numbers ended up being because I had looked earlier at, during the season in 2019. But his whiff rates against off speed stuff were, yeah, against breaking pitches, 48%, and against off speed pitches, a 50% whiff rate. And he's just such an extreme launch angle guy that it's going gonna, it's gonna to tank the batting average. But until he can hit, you know, make consistent contact. I, 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 I'm worried. Uh, I don't okay. think it's there. The exit velocities and hard hits for him weren't terrible, but that whiff rate is just – that's unplayable. You, you can't play with that if you can't hit the ball. Plus, he's um, a pull guy too? Yeah, I, yeah, he's more of a pull guy. And then where was the last guy I had? Um, also in the National League East, and a, another guy that has far too much uh, helium – in him in this draft season, and I don't know why, is Victor Robles. What What are your thoughts on Victor Robles? <sighs> Here we go. Now, he had that hot start. We all know. I mean, he was looking like, oh, you know, Bryce who oh, we got him. We got <laughs> His speed, obviously, is real. Yeah. Uh, speed and defense is – I mean, he's not as fast as Billy Hamilton, but he reminds me a lot of Billy Hamilton on the bases and in the outfield. But he just seems like a free swing. Like, for somebody, Willie Mays, hey, I'm, I'm going to break that up. <laughs> I mean, he got everything you want, but he swings at everything, it seems like. I'm yeah. Be right. Like, when I saw him play, I was like, damn, do you ever watch a pitch or try to? Like, what? Boy, I like him, but I don't think he's going to be as good as advertised I, yeah. I just don't I mean he, I I never really bought into him in the minors he was one of those guys I was always worried about um he was a three I confused him with another outfield prospect whose name I cannot remember I was on Twitter and I made a fool of myself because they were they were talking and I was like they said oh uh, he's never or I don't trust that he's going to be able to hit 300 like he did in the minors and I said I was like I don't think he ever batted that high in the minors, but he was over all five seasons a 300 hitter on the dot in the minors with a 392 on base, which is fantastic. Um, but in those 384 games in the minors, he only hit 28 home runs. Um, so the I, I don't think the power there is there. Of course, doubles and triples. He's going to hit a lot of triples with his speed, but the the helium that this guy has and i guess it's because of the 28 stolen bases last year yep and people like i said they hunt stolen bases in roto and categories leagues um but i i just don't buy into it he didn't really he had a strikeout rate over 20% walked under 6% so low batting average low on base low slugging he just gave it, but he still hit 17 home runs. And so I think a lot of people, they see the 17 home runs and the almost 30 stolen bases. And they say, Oh, this could be a 30, 20 guy. Like this could be a steal. And so he keeps going up these draft boards and I'm like, I, I, I don't get it. I'm he's going to get the, the plate appearances and the at bats because of his defense. He's going to stay and you know, Washington has a lot invested in him, but I don't buy it. I, I just, I remember early in the year he turned on a Noah fastball like twice and like, oh, yeah. yeah, hit those line drive home runs. Like they weren't even far. It's like they tucked right inside the foul <laughs> pole and everyone's like, Oh wow. Look at the bat speed. Look at the power. And I'm like, <laughs> it's, he's just another guy. I'm, I'm not paying up for the value for Cause I, I don't see any value. Um, I don't see the hard hit and exit velocities are both low. Um, he's not a big guy. I don't see him adding much, you know, in terms of muscle or anything like that. I mean, or he could turn into Mookie Betts overnight and become like one of the best hitters in baseball. I don't know. But, um, I think they have a guy on the roster that he might be just like. 
Leon's double. Michael oh, <laughs> Michael Taylor. He could be another Michael Taylor. Um, Corey Richmond coming in and saying that Robles is a better actual ball player than fantasy player at this point. I 100% agree with that. He was actually the best um, baseball savants outs above average, which does defense. I know we're kind of going off the, the fantasy path here because we don't track defense in fantasy. But he had the highest outs above average in all of baseball uh, with 23. And I, I feel like that is um, going to become the uh, per se metric when it comes to defensive ability compared to like DRS or UZR that we've seen over the last few years. So Victor Robles, that does keep him on the field, which could in turn, you know, lead to him making better adjustments. Adjustments, I can't speak. But um, I, I don't see the bat yet. And if I, if I don't see a bat, I'm not going to – Especially, I'm not going to pay a higher value than I think for a guy if I don't believe in his bat. I got one for you. Um, I got one for this is for the White Sox. Luis Robert. Luis Robert uh, hasn't made his debut yet, so this will be his rookie season. Um, the only player in the International League, which is the Eastern side of AAA, the only player with 250 plate appearances in the International League that had a higher swinging strike rate than Luis Robert was Tim Tebow. I think he has, much like Tatis, he has a lot of God-given talent. He's got great speed, great strength. He's much stronger. He he actually profiles much similar to a Victor Robles, but with more power. Um, But with the plate discipline, the swinging strikes, I mean, he swings and misses a a lot, which I feel like we're going to see very much his parallels with Fernando Tatis. But at the same time, if the balls stay the same, which I'm sure they will with all of the, the drama happening, though baseball finally comes back, people are going to want to see home runs. They're going to want to see the, the flashy stuff. Oh, yeah. he, he could survive it, but I would be very skeptical of it. I was shocked that the White Sox gave him as large of a contract as they did. As yeah. soon as they did, even before his first season, I thought that was uh, very gutsy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... Uh, I am I'm I'm not as high on him as others. I actually I in my prospect ranks that I kind of aren't really official. Um, I, I I drop him out of my my f- top five, which is like blasphemy <laughs> to like most uh, prospect rankers. Corey's asking about Michael Chavis, who I just had pulled up. Mm-hmm. He had you know the hot start in April, I yes. believe, Corey, mm-hmm. but um. Hope I think he's going to play a lot of second base this year with Pedroia, you know, like officially yeah, gone. Finally gone, yeah. I can but, see um, right here, let me see if I can look at his first half, second half splits for you. Yeah, in the – let me get down here. First half, he was a above-average major league hitter, 105 WRC – or WRC plus, 263, 332, 467. And then in the second half, he was one of the worst hitters in baseball. 64 <laughs> WRC plus, uh, batting average tanked. Uh, bat, his bad bit dropped about 50 points. 221 average, 286 on base, 364 slugging. Um, I think with Chavis, he could be a really big power guy, kind of like reminiscent of Dan Ugla, maybe if that makes sense. I can see but, that. Uh, I just feel like right now they're going to him, not because they want to, but because they have to. I mean, he, he was a, a somewhat top prospect before falling off. And it, it's always weird when those top prospects, they fall off of rankings and then they make their debuts. And so it's like, I feel it's uh, not good for their psyche, if that makes any sense. But um, I, I think we'll end it with one last guy who I think – could be a legitimate – I don't want to say he's an MVP because he's probably going to be DH, but Jordan Alvarez, your thoughts? I like that kid. I don't care if he's an Astro. He, I, I just – I like him. He hit hard hit for it. He's there. You know, he's another one that – how is it supposed against lefties? I think if I didn't see him now, I saw him more against righties than lefties. Yeah, he still batted 300. Uh, his slash line against lefties okay. 
was 307, 389, 649, and OPS over 1,000. But that was only in 114 at-bats. I haven't looked at his minors track record against lefties, but if you ever go to his baseball savant page, it is like the wildest thing in the world. Everything is 95th percentile or above as a rookie in 87. I mean, if there is, if I were to play devil's advocate, I would say several things. One, he was a rookie and he only played 87 games. And we did see in the playoffs where teams have a little bit more time to look at you, analyze you, and look for weaknesses. He did struggle a little bit in the playoffs. And that is something that – yeah, and being a rookie in the playoffs is tough. Like, so I, I could trap it up to that too. But also, other teams, especially with all of this time that we have off, are going to look at what teams did in the playoffs mm-hmm. and see how they did get him out. Um, the only thing that is even remotely bad on his baseball savant page is his strikeout percentage, which was 25%, but he was also in the top 6% of the league in walk percentage. So yep. that, to me, that completely offsets it. Uh, the fact he's only 22 I, yeah, and that's big. I yeah. Mean, I mean, he he's going to grow. I mean, he's already 6'5", 220. I'm not going to say yeah. he's going to grow to like seven foot, but he's going to grow as a hitter. And if your baseline is 310, 410, 650 on your slash line, and that's your baseline, uh, I, I feel like a good comp here would be like prime Jim Tomey. Oof. I feel like uh, that's big. That's I feel big. like that. I'm, I'm, it's lofty expectations, but Jordan Alvarez uh, right now is probably the most sought after DH in fantasy. Mm-hmm. Granted, it, in the same way I said about Pete Alonso, his ADP right now is so high that it is mm-hmm. harder to see the value, especially for someone who is a DH only player. When I can wait like eighty something picks and get Nelson Cruz. Who yeah, won't you know stop hitting? Yeah, and he won't stop hitting. He's going to be like forty-five years old. Julio Franco still hitting, and I don't know how, but he's still going to do it. <laughs> Roids. Well, I'm sorry. Did I say something there? Uh, Whoops. But yeah, he's like he's hard to see. Like even coming out, you know, twenty-seven home runs, seventy-eight runs, over eighty-seven games. I mean, that's kind of. Man, that, and, and, regard, and like I said, on, on this ba- podcast, we don't talk anything about drama. That Astros lineup is still deadly. I don't care what anyone says. You have Bregman. You have Altuve. You have Correa. You have Michael Brantley. You plug Jordan Alvarez somewhere in the smack dab middle of it. He's going to be one of the best rum producers in all of baseball. I mean, it's like Ryan Howard, except if Ryan Howard was better. And that's knowing how good Ryan Howard was. Mm-hmm. I feel like we're looking at somebody even better. And I don't know. Yeah. I, I feel like the sky's the limit for him. Mm-hmm. I think based on his batted ball data, unless it's just extremely misleading and he was just extremely hot and pitchers never mm-hmm. figured him out, uh, he might be my number one pick for of this yeah. last year's rookie class to, to maintain, and not only maintain, but break out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you said, 94 percentile and hard hit rate, barrel rate, old bacon, that's slug. I'm like, that? That's <laughs> a rookie? Like, damn, yeah, I mean, you go to his page and it's just silly. Like, what the hell are you – what do you want? <laughs> but it's oh, funny because when he was originally part of the um, – I believe they said the Josh Fields trade when Josh Fields was traded from the Astros to L.A. because he was originally really? in the Dodgers system. I mean, talk about an embarrassment of riches the Dodgers have had over the years. Yeah. But while we were going to finish up on Alvarez, I'm just going to wrap up with one last question from Corey Richmond on Bo Bichette. Um, a I was couple on, weeks ago, uh, the CBS uh, Fantasy Baseball podcast, they, they were talking about Bo Bichette, and I'm very – I was one, I wasn't high on him in the minors like I was some other guys. Mm-hmm. And, but he came up and, you know, it's like he didn't miss a beat. Uh, his player similarity ranks him very similar to Brian Reynolds, which maybe I need to take a, a deeper look into what Bo Bichette did last year. Mm-hmm. Of course, I mean, in the 46 games he played, he had 11 home runs and four stolen bases. 
I know a lot of people were kind of hoping for more stolen bases because in the minors, as recently as 2018, he stole 32. And then 2019, between his two minor league teams, he stole 16. The speed is good. It's not elite. And it's one of those things is if you don't have elite speed, your manager or your organization could just red light you at any time. And then Mm -hmm. all of a sudden you drafted this guy for stolen bases and he's not giving you stolen bases. But the the batting average was definitely there for him. Uh, He crushed fastballs, which is is a great thing. Um, He slightly performed his expected stats a little bit, but if he can tighten it up against breaking pitches, which he really struggled against, but he did well against fastballs and off speed. So like change up splits, but the breaking pitches are really what he needs to to clamp down on Uh, right now. His ADP is too high for me. I think it's still inside the top 100. Really? Yeah. There's other, there's other shortstops I would like or could get because shortstop seems to be so deep this year. Mm -hmm. But uh, he's, he's a guy who, like I've said with several others, in a dynasty league, he's so young. He has so much talent. I'd probably pay the price. But in a one-off <laughs> season league, yeah, it's not. I'm, I'm, I'm going to pass this year. And one guy. If he, pr- if he proves me wrong, I'm wrong. But uh, yeah, he, he could be a very much an easy 2020 guy. Oh yeah, for sure. It's in the, you know how they say it's in the genes. Sometimes with some people, like some kids, I think yeah. him. Yeah, but it's I mean, one he, guy. He, I want. He play. plays like a ball player. He he he. Very kind of just goes out there, has fun. I love to see it. Let the kids play. Yeah, let the kids play. And on that note, Jacob, thank you so much for joining us. If you have any last words, uh, go ahead and give them to our audience. Yes, thank you for having me on today. It was great. Like I said, you always know your shit. I love talking to you, especially about Mets baseball. That's what we do. (laughs) So, guys, but definitely you got to check this podcast out, especially all our other ones. Me and Leon, Ball is Life, The Audible with Matt, Randy, you know, Dong City, Vince, Henry do a great job in the lab with you, Matt, Johnny. You mean that podcast about the Astros trash can scheme? Yeah, yeah pretty Dong, much. Okay. <laughs> donging, the, donging the trash can. That's, that's how they got the name, right? <laughs> Those guys do a great job. Also, yeah. get the wrestling. Jake, you're doing your thing. I see all you guys over there getting a special guest on. We appreciate it. Like I said, it's the life difference. And once again, Sean, thank you for having me. It's, it's been great. I'd love to do it again. Like I said, you, your knowledge is just ridiculous. You need to get MLB somewhere. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Okay, with that being said, guys, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, those that chimed in live, thank you so much. If this is going to be an audio-only format for you, be sure to check us out at Baseball Life, and you'll see Jacob uh, flashing his two-time Cy Young Jacob DeGrom jersey as he pieces out of the podcast. And uh, until next time, guys, uh, thank you for joining in the Total Bases podcast. Uh, where we touch all of the bases that we need to cover for your fantasy needs. Uh, We'll see you next time, and thanks for joining. Thank you.